As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Tom, we've got to start with Jim Emanuel over at Evercore. The base case was 4,800. It's now 43. The bear case is 2,900. That's a lot of downside on that bear case from Evercore, Tom. John and Lisa want to get to that. I just want to do some internal housekeeping here on Evercore ISI. Julian Emanuel, how does Ed Hyman's acclaimed granularity and study of the American corporate economy infect this new view that you have? Well, what it does, Tom, is it reinforces the idea that our base case continues to be that there isn't going to be a recession. Um, you know, and we've had waves of concern. Uh, obviously, economic hurricanes may be offshore, uh, so on and so forth. But Ed's granular data says we are not at the point where there is likely to be a recession, yield curve or no yield curve. And frankly, what it does, though, is when you look at the macro environment around you, it increases the probability of a recession off in 2023. Julian, why the change? Why the change yesterday evening? Uh, Because really, when you look at the move off of the low on May 20th, uh, and, and you think about, you know, how these kinds of bottoms form. And to be clear, our, our view is that you are in the midst of forming a non-recessionary bear market bottom. That's the base view. But what we haven't seen is that fundamental catalyst. And we all know that the biggest fundamental catalyst is falling energy prices. And, you know, we look for it every day and it is not happening. Um, but then the other thing is volume. It tends to be when you get bottoms of of that nature that you see surges in volume, real concerted buying interest, that's lacking. Julian, the downside case, the bear case 2900, is that the recessionary bear case and where does the number come from? So basically, if you look at recession bear markets of the last hundred years, the average is down around 41%. That gets you to 2900. We're not going there unless we get a recession. You talk about oil being the distinguishing feature between that recession, that downside scenario, and not. What is the pain point in oil that you're looking for? Well, so, Lisa, I think it's pretty fair to say that when you think about the consumer's psychology, and look, you heard the president address it last night on late night TV, is that the psychological pain point 
has already arrived, whether it's five dollars a gallon or, or whatever you, you want to define that as. But but frankly, when yeah. you look at historical data, <clears throat> the longer prices stay elevated at this level, the closer you get to the yeah. actual pain point. I couldn't believe, Lisa, what the president said last night on late night TV. He was very real in trying to address the American people. Julian, you say that, you know, it's about how sustained this is. What about the bull case? What has to happen in order to get to 4,800 at a time when people want to hear the bearish case and want to understand how much downside they have? We need to see visibility into the idea that this so-called softish landing is really going to crystallize. And our fear here is, is that, you know, again, there's only so much the Fed can do to get, uh, you know, to put a lid and not, not only put a lid, but take energy prices down. And really, they can't do much at all. Um, and that, you know, we've seen more hawkish rhetoric out of global central banks in the last week. We're likely to see that next Wednesday. And the fear is, is that, you know, that it doesn't move inflation materially lower. If you get that break in inflation and you get consumer spending to stay in, in, you know, hold in there, that's where we get the upside. And that's the September pause as well, Julian. Do you need the September pause to get that 4,800 bull case? Uh, Not necessarily. And frankly, the the whole concept of, of both volatility around the macro and economic volatility, whether driven by inventories or a number of different issues, is it, it is such a long time between now and September, the picture is likely to look almost entirely different. So we don't know exactly what monetary policy is going to require, but we do know that inflation is going to need to turn down meaningfully without a turn down in growth. Uh, Julian, you've got three numbers here, 4,300, 4,800, 2,900. I'll have a wager with you, $10 that the only one you get asked about today is the 2900. Julian, thank you, buddy. As always, Julian Emanuel there of Evercore jumping on the phone for us as he downgrades Love the outlook. International economist at Wells Fargo, Nick Benenbrook, who is hugely qualified to speak on this. I know of no one who has consistently applied FX strategy over his career like Mr. Benenbrook. Nick, thrilled to have you with us uh, today in the studio. Does Madame Lagarde have control of the situation? I, I think she does. I mean, there's both an economic control and also a political control because of all the policymakers on, on the ECB. And that's where her background as a politician, I, I think, is so important. So that medium term forecast at 2%, that says that, uh, you know, the ECB has an inflation problem, but it's not as severe, I think, as right. say the United States or, is, or, or the UK. This is so important, folks. I'm going to get this out front. We're going to blow the brakes here and go right through the eight o'clock hour with Mr. Benenbrook. He's that important. We welcome you all on Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg Television, particularly in Europe. John? In the event of renewed market fragmentation, Nick, I'll read out this quote to you and you tell me what you think about it. Related to the pandemic, PEP reinvestments can be adjusted flexibly across time, asset classes and jurisdictions at any time. Talk to me about what you think fragmentation actually means and what they're planning trying to do here as they hike interest rates. Well, yes, they are seeing probably more fragmentation than they re- would really like. As you mentioned, the, the Italian bond spreads relative to those in Germany have gone from about 1% percentage point out to 2 percentage points. But I really think this is about as much as they can do, this flexible reinvestment, uh, because it would be difficult for them, for example, to be raising interest rates, which they're going to do, 
Some of the op- other options I had talked about was restarting net purchases if there was too much fragmentation or even coming up with a whole new program to help stabilize the markets. But then you'd be sort of tightening monetary policy on the one hand and, and easing monetary policy on the other, and that would be extremely challenging. So I think they will go with this flexible approach for as long as they possibly can, and, and, and certainly that's going to be a very delicate balance they're going to have to walk. There. Nick, is delicate to walk. Walk a delicate balance on the ECB governing council when you've got some loud hawks. And those hawks are so loud at this ECB. They don't want 25 basis point moves. They want bigger moves than that. And clearly there's this line that's been put in this statement for September that I'd love your thoughts on. They say this on the September decision. The calibration of this rate increase will depend on the updated medium-term inflation outlook. If the medium-term inflation outlook persists or deteriorates, a larger increment will be appropriate at the September meeting. Nick, that screams to me an ECB that's trying to please the Hawks and tell them if this carries on through the summer, we'll go 50. Yes, I mean, I think it's certainly, you know, trying to, as you say, allay the concerns of the Hawks. I don't know if we're going to get 50 basis points in September, though. I mean, going into today's meeting, the market was pricing 36 basis points for July. And I think pretty definitively, it looks like we're going to get 25 in July. Um, And so coming back to Tom's question, does uh, Madame Lagarde have control of the situation? I think she does. I think she's managed to get a consensus behind that 25 basis point move. Looking at our own forecast uh, for for ECB policy, we expect 25 in July, we expect uh, 25 in September. So if I was a voter on the ECB, I guess I would not be dissenting. I would be going with gradualism at this point. Foreign exchange traders, I don't think know exactly what to do with this. Basically a trading range, 107 for the euro versus the dollar. Unclear of whether this will be supportive or detract if it ends up slowing growth even further with more rate hikes down the pike. What's your view on that? Do you think that more rate hikes and more hawkish stance will be positive for the euro or negative? I think if we were to get a more hawkish view than we got today, for example, I think it would be positive for the euro. But, you know, looking at the very near term, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the, the, today the question was for, for July, do we get 25 or 50? It looks like we get 25, and that's why I think the euro is selling off just a little bit today. Um, and so really it is going to come down to do we see those high inflation prints? Do we see those hawkish comments? And also at the end of the day, I would say this, uh, still the Federal Reserve moving a lot quicker. The U.S. has a much larger inflation problem. So macroeconomic fundamentals, in addition to central bank, I still think means, uh, you know, trend is probably for a, a softer euro over time. Nick, does it matter that a lot of the inflation is driven from the energy market in uh, Europe? I mean, certainly in the U.S. as well, but in Europe even more so. And that really the ECB can't do much about that by raising rates. It matters a little bit, and you know, uh, trying to use sort of uh, the economist trick there on, on you know, use both hands. Um, you know, certainly I would say the, the Eurozone doesn't have as severe an inflation problem when you look at their core inflation rate of 3.8%. And, you know, typically a central bank would say, well, the underlying inflation trend is not that bad. So, you know, in some sense, it maybe affects the pace at which the ECB raises interest rates. But I think there's a huge focus on headline inflation uh, in the Eurozone as well, above 8%. And the reason being is even if all of this you know, inflation is being driven by energy. The fact is these oil prices are going to be at $120 a barrel or higher. So we're just going to have high inflation, even if the under- broader inflation pressures aren't that bad. Nick, I want to go back to your heritage. And I think it's really important here. Roger Douglas had a New Zealand that was blowing up 20, 30, 40 years ago. And he, with his leadership, New Zealand codified inflation targeting. Right now, inflation is essentially out of control. The, the the response here is not a rigidity or a formula of targeting like John Taylor of Stanford or what the 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 Bank of New Zealand did. The 
The issue here is the level of dovishness versus hawkishness. How dovish is our dovish central banks right now if they can't affect New Zealand-like targeting? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got a point there. Certainly, you know, overall, the, the, there is still a lot of dovishness, although there, there is there is an evolution going on because when you look at a lot of the central banks this year, faced with, you know, worries about slower growth or, or this very high inflation, uh, they've been coming down on the side of, like, let's raise interest rates, let's try and tackle inflation. But the point you make, I think, is a very good one. These real interest rates, the policy rates are still extremely low relative to the rates of inflation. And so at the end of the day, uh, it's certainly not an early 1980s Paul Volcker kind of a situation that we have in the United States where they're moving aggressively to just sort of squeeze inflation out of the system. Nick Bannerbrook of Wells Fargo. Nick, Brilliant. thank you. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Right now, Patrick Armstrong with his chief investment officer at Plurimi Wealth Management. Patrick, can you invest in Europe? Um, you can invest in Europe. Um, what I did this morning is I actually shorted uh, Italian bonds, BTPs. I do own multinational European equities, um, companies like ASML, which has a product which is in incredibly high demand. I own Shell. Um, you can invest in Europe, but I think you want to think global context. I think Europe's falling into a recession. It's got a tightening central bank now for the first time in a very long time. Um, but I don't think the US falls into a recession. I think China's probably going to be enormously stimulative in the second half of this year. So if you do invest in Europe, I want to play growth in other regions, not in Europe. Patrick, I want to talk to you about the European bond market before we go out too broadly to international equities. Do you think this is achievable? Addressing eventual fragmentation, if it does materialise, with reinvestments of PEP at the same time to raise interest rates in the way that they're guiding us towards this morning in the statement? Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's so small. Um, it matters at the margin. It's designed to give the market some confidence in the periphery bonds, but... Uh, I didn't realize I was uh, betting on fragmentation. That's a term I wouldn't have used before when I shorted Italy this morning. But uh, I think that's something done deliberately, pointing out they know there is going to be consequences to the periphery as they end uh, their QE program on July 1st. But uh, it, it's words and uh, reinvestment is very small compared to uh, 
the, the bond buying pro bond buying program that is in place right now. So you're shorting Italian bonds. When do you start to see value again? Where what is sort of the threshold at which you start to say it's a buying opportunity? Um, if it blows out wide versus Germany, I'm actually short boons and I have been short boons all year. Um, I wish I was short Italy all year as well, but I've just put Italy on. Um, I think if we see another 50 basis points wider against Germany, I'll probably start to close Italy because I don't think it is going to be a disaster, but I do think the market pushes for some sort of response from the ECB where they put in something maybe a little bit more meaningful to uh, make sure that the periphery yields don't blow out wider. In other words, a more flexible purchasing program from their PEP and how much they're going to really dive into this market. Do you think that they can be effective in actually suppressing yields in that region, moving against both the inflation as well as the higher yields uh, in the core? Um, we'll see at the press conference today. It'll be very important. Um, Draghi was the master at it, whatever it takes, using words rather than explicit policy. If uh, Lagarde really emphasizes that we're not going to let any widening of periphery, which can have an impact on inflation, have impact on confidence, um, if she really stresses that we will do whatever it takes if these kind of things start to happen. In the statement that's out there right now, it doesn't say that. It says she's aware of it. Um, so the rhetoric and the words may have just as much importance as the policy in the coming weeks. In fact, there's been so many doubts about whether the Federal Reserve can deliver on the rate hiking cycle that a lot of people are pricing. Can you run me through how likely it is that the CCB can deliver on gradual, sustained interest um, rate hikes? I, I was surprised by that because I didn't even think they'd want to commit themselves to that yet. I think uh, the optionality that she's really been keen to create, she's almost given up some of that by saying this is the beginning of a gradual hiking cycle. I thought it was going to be maybe even 50 in July and then see what happens. But uh, yeah, she set the groundwork for 25 in July maybe even 50 in September, which I think is very unlikely. That's meant to appease the hawks, I suppose. But uh, given where growth is, given the impacts of higher oil prices and energy prices on the European consumers and European manufacturing, I think it's going to be very difficult to uh, get a hiking cycle started in Europe. Um, if it does start, it's great news. Something very good has happened in the economy. I assume you also think then that GDP forecast of 2.8% for this year is pretty optimistic, maybe overly so? I, I do. I think Europe's falling into recession. I do believe Germany's committed to moving away from Russian oil and probably natural gas towards the end of the year. And that's very stagflationary. That's a huge hit to uh, manufacturing, huge hits to jobs and higher prices as well. We're back to that old equity playbook, aren't we? By Europe, but by companies listed in Europe that have international exposure. Is that the play now, I, Patrick? That's the play for me. And that's been the play for me for, for quite a long time. Um, Europe's facing a lot of issues with growth and prices. And uh, for the first time, not having negative interest rates, which may even be a positive for the banks, but I, I still prefer to own the bank bonds rather than the bank equities with this backdrop. Patrick Armstrong, thank you, sir. As always, Plurimi Wealth. Let's get straight to the conversation with Seema Shah, the Chief Strategist of Principal Global Investors. Seema, an hour ago, we spoke to Sebastian Page of T. Rowe Price, and he said normally after a sell-off of this magnitude, we'd be buying stocks. This time we're not. What are you doing? We are very much neutral. Um, look, I, I think you could see a bear market rally. And I'm going to say that it's a bear market rally rather than a full-on rally. And we, we have to look for the catalyst. When are things going to change? But once you see some of that economic data, the earnings data start to roll over, 
we think that you're going to see a really, really challenging period for equity markets where it retests the, the lows that we've seen in the past month or so and probably goes a little bit beyond. People have been conditioned by the last couple of years, Seema. They always are. Near term, they look back, the last reference point for this, early 2020, spring of 2020. We hit the lows, we started to rally, and we had this conversation. How do you differentiate, distinguish between a bear market rally and something more durable? What have we learned from that? Because I think a lot of people looking at this right now, just sitting there itching, thinking, yeah, I want to get in. Because I was told this last time around, it was a bear market rally and this market just ripped. Why is this so different? Oh, you know, I, I think this circumstance that we're in is is very, very different to anything that we've seen over the last decade. You know, like you said, investors, they've become very accustomed to kind of good returns, low volatility and always being supported by the Fed. Uh, with inflation at this level, you know, I push back a lot of, about the idea of a Fed put any time over the next 12 months or so. So I think in that environment, this is a time where you have to look at the fundamentals. You have to look at the fact that, as you said, energy bills are really weighing on households globally, US, Europe, wherever you look at it. And in that situation, earnings mm. will start to slow down. At your London School of Economics, there is one glorious morning where they study Irving Fisher of Yale. Does inflation follow rates or does rates follow inflation? Well, the, the, the big question, look, rates should work with a six to 24 month lag. That is the way that we should see it. Now, there's going to be a ton of other pressures working through. Uh, we're going to have the economic slowdown already in progress because inflation is going to be pushing down, as we said, on consumers. Um, and then we also have to think about supply chains. This is such a complicated matter compared to previous periods where you have this additional impact from post-COVID, um, as I said, the supply chains. And then, of course, you've got the Russia-Ukraine crisis. Mm-hmm. Seema, if you do see the fact that Fed put is not really on the table, what's the argument for a weaker dollar? It's a good question. So, you know, look, beginning of this year, we were looking at the valuation factors for the US dollar and it was flashing red. But as is always the case, valuations doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to change. You need that catalyst to see things changing. And in the last month, because we have seen market expectations for the Fed hikes probably hit a peak, and yet at the same time, you're seeing expectations for the ECB, for other central banks starting to push up. They're going to hit a crescendo at some point. But for the time being, that means that there is downward pressure on the US dollar. But we're not seeing it right now, even as we're expecting a pretty hawkish message from the ECB today, the likelihood of 25 basis point and even more in July. What more could they say that could be a catalyst to send the euro stronger? So I, I think we need to have confirmation from Lagarde exactly where they're going. You know, from, from the stuff that she's been saying, um, she is indicating that this is a 25 basis point move on occasional uh, occasional meetings rather than the 50 basis point move that increasingly the market is pricing in. So I think we need to see some of that to see that additional downward pressure. But I also want to say that even if we were to see Lagarde moving in that 50 basis point hike, the ECB following along with that, um, I don't think it goes on for too long because we also have an even more negative view for the European economy. So I don't think they can keep moving at these kind of uh, pace of rate hikes for very long. Some of the forecasts a little bit later this morning could be dreadful. Seema Shah, thank you, of Principal Global Investors. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take 
take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.